Welcome to Hoosier Ag This Week. From Hat Studio 3A in West Lafayette, I'm farm broadcaster Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today. It's time for your weekly rundown of the top news and information from this past week impacting Indiana's most critical industry, agriculture. Grain market analysis is on the way in just minutes with Andy Eubank and economist Brian Basting with Advanced Trading. And Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin has the latest Indiana farm forecast coming up. In the news, Sabrina Halverson has updates from Washington, D.C. as members of Congress make their Christmas wish list for what they'd like to see in a new farm bill. And C.J. Miller shares a Christmas gift idea just in time for the big day, a new children's book about agriculture written by a former Indiana FFA officer and current Purdue Ag student. Indiana Farm Bureau is holding their annual meeting this weekend. We'll have news from there coming up on next week's show, but this makes it official. Meeting season, conference season, whatever you want to call it, it's underway. Purdue Extension Specialists Dan Corn Quinn and Soybean Sean Castile have already attended and have spoken to crowds at many different meetings around the country. Castile tells us on the latest Purdue Crop Chat podcast, which you can find now wherever you listen to podcasts, that there's one consistent theme at these meetings. They're getting a lot of questions about biologicals. I think a lot of the questions is what works, what doesn't, yep. and where do you start? And Castile admits that's a tough question to answer right now. There's over 1,200 companies in this space, <laughs> so let that sink in. Over 1,200 companies in the space of biologicals as they're described as, it can be microbial, it could be plant extracts, it could be seaweed, so that, that kind of area, over 1,200 companies. Clearly, with that many companies, it's difficult for Castile and Quinn to perform research on each one to give those clear answers to farmers about what works and what doesn't. After taking input from farmers last year, they did some biological trials, specifically those revolving around nitrogen and phosphorus. Castile explains why he thinks there's such interest in biologicals. They're a product that we can apply that provides that so we don't have as much synthetic, so that I don't have as much regulation or, you know, the government on, on my back, right? And so I think there's some more hope in that is that here's one avenue, here's one product that can help me reduce my nitrogen or reduce my phosphorus in this example and not have this government regulation, right? So I, I think there's a lot of hype in this. I think there's a lot of hope. It's, uh, is there any proof in the pudding on that? That's the question I get. After those trials this year, Quinn and Castile are sad to report they haven't found the silver bullet to increase corn and soybean yields, but their research will be ongoing. They encourage you to do your own research on your farm in the Purdue Crop Chat. Listen now in the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. You can download it for free on your iPhone or Android. Let's shift our attention now out to Washington, D.C., with fertilizer prices skyrocketing over the past several years. Several U.S. Senators now are demanding answers to why and how it happened. Here's C.J. Miller. And those Senators have introduced the Fertilizer Research Act, which would require the USDA to study competition and trends in the fertilizer market to determine their impact on pricing. Democrat Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin is one of the lawmakers co-sponsoring that bill. In recent years, our farmers have faced a lot of headwinds. And one of those challenges has been the spike in the price of fertilizer. Last year, the cost of fertilizer was like a staggering 30 percent of the input costs. And while fertilizer prices have gone up sharply in the past few years, she says the farmers have not been given a good enough reason why. Our farmers have very little insight into 
why these prices spiked, how they're determined. And so with this legislation, we're hoping to pull back the veil, if you will, of the competition within this market and be able to craft solutions that address the high costs that farmers are facing. She says the high prices for fertilizer can have a negative domino effect, impacting not just the ag economy, but the entire U.S. economy. High fertilizer prices don't just affect our hardworking farmers. They also can result in elevated prices because they limit the amount that farmers might plant if they can only afford a limited amount of fertilizer. So these are serious issues that affect our economy, and we need to have greater insight and information, and that's what this bill would do. The bill is also co-sponsored by Republican Senators Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst of Iowa. Within one year of the bill's passage, the USDA and Economic Research Council would be required to issue a report to investigate several issues, including whether there have been antitrust violations or collusion within the fertilizer industry. I'm C.J. Miller. All right, C.J., thanks. Let's move from the Senate now over to the House, where the Ag Committee recently invited all members of the House to share their priorities for the next farm bill. Sabrina Halverson reports how one congresswoman addressed her concerns about the impact of California's Prop 12. Representative Ashley Henson of Iowa pointed to the costs for pork producers because of California's Proposition 12 and a similar Massachusetts law. She said Prop 12 has the potential to disrupt the free movement of goods around the country, and she called for the inclusion of her bill, the Ending Agricultural Trade Suppression, or EATS Act, in the next Farm Bill. The EATS Act preserves California's right to regulate its agricultural practices within its own borders, while also protecting Iowa's farmers' access to interstate commerce. So I think that any radical activists pushing an agenda like this that have never stepped foot on their family farms should come visit a farm in Iowa. I've extended an open invitation to them. We'd love to show you how our farmers care and uh, manage their farms and the environment in the process. So I look forward to continuing to work with the committee to build consensus around a durable and bipartisan solution to protect our family farmers from damaging and arbitrary mandates like Prop 12. At the close of the hearing, House Agriculture Committee Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson said he appreciated the input from his colleagues. Obviously, the goals for this farm bill have remained the same as what they were when we uh, when I started out as ranking member two years and 11 months ago, and that is that we do this farm bill that is bipartisan, bicameral, and highly effective. And the highly effective part is incredibly important. The roadmap or the recipe for highly effective is, is very clear. We've been on that path, on that trail for, uh, for now almost three years. Um, and that is listening to voices outside the Beltway of Washington. Read more at HoosierAgToday.com. I'm Sabrina Halverson. And I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today. Thanks for joining us on Hoosier Ag this week. More farm news coming up. The Indiana Farm Forecast is just minutes away. But right now, it's time to turn our attention to the markets. And for that, I welcome in Andy Eubank. Thank you, Eric. We certainly experienced some volatility throughout the trading week, and it ended really with a rather quiet day of trade on Friday. In the middle of the trading session, I checked in with Brian Basting, Advanced trading to get his thoughts on the week and Friday trade in particular. Up and down week when you look at the ag markets and the macro markets. Yeah, it's starting to be a bit of a holiday trade, Andy, as it were. Uh, typically during the holidays, we see uh, subdued price volatility and every year is different. We'll see uh, the next two weeks, but it's certainly behaving like that now. I guess for soybeans, obviously, we're watching Brazilian weather quite closely with a lot of those beans in the north going through pod set, pod fill. There is some rain in the forecast next week around the 20th, 21st, 22nd of December. 
that's keeping the market a little on edge. Corn is just kind of marking time. I think we're waiting to see, as you get into January, some final production numbers and, and usage numbers. And as for wheat, of course, we did get confirmation that uh, we had uh, tremendous sales of, of soft wheat to China. But that's been in the market for quite some time. So, um, as you said, the lack of, of uh, not only domestically here, uh, breaking news, uh, but worldwide is uh, relatively quiet for the moment. And really, the breaking news coming out of South America, not so breaking. It seems to be uh, still some uncertainty there about what the true effect of current weather conditions will be on the crop and therefore the U.S. markets. No doubt. Uh, this picture, early August, mid-August, to your listeners here, how important that weather is during Piedset and Piedfield in the Midwest. So it, it's the crop is not a catastrophe, as it were, down there right now. But there's some areas that suffered a bit. Brian Basting, Advanced Trading. The number there, 309-664-2314. On the Hat Friday Market Review, settlements from Friday Trade. March corn, a gain of three and three quarters, jumping to 483. May goes to 495 and a quarter, picking up three and a quarter. Mostly lower in beans. The front month Jan contract did go up a penny and three quarters, 1315 and three quarters. Everything else lower, March down just a half cent at 1331 and a half. And March wheat, 629 and a quarter, a gain of 13 and a half. Meat markets higher Friday. February live cattle, 169.35, up a dollar 42. And Feb lean hogs also up a dollar 42 settling at 71.90 and that's the friday farm market review you're up to date much more though still to come i'm andy eubank on who's your ag this week in indiana there isn't a country road county highway or interstate where you don't pass a farm i'm bruce kettler president and ceo of the agribusiness council of indiana those of us involved in agribusiness understand the importance of our industry ACI exists to advocate for the needs of our members and the whole of Indiana agribusiness at the State House and beyond. We hope you'll join us. Visit our website, inagribiz.org, to get your membership started today. The Agribusiness Council of Indiana, strengthening and connecting Indiana agribusiness. We've got a weather system that's going to change our conditions slightly as we finish out the weekend. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Act Today's Weekend Weather Outlook. We're starting the weekend off pretty decent here. Sunshine for your Saturday, but clouds are increasing. That's because we've got a weather system off to our west that's really going to make some things interesting here over the later part of the weekend. Most of the moisture here through the day today is going to be in Illinois, although I won't rule out scattered showers over western tier counties of Indiana. And again, clouds building everywhere else. Moving through the overnight tonight and into tomorrow, that's when we see our best rains come through. Anywhere from a tenth to likely three quarters of an inch in the Hoosier State. Coverage 90%. The big rains, the half inch and higher, are going to be downstate from Indianapolis, well, I-70 southward and especially near the Ohio River. That's where the best moisture falls. The rest of us are going to be dealing with lighter moisture and a lot of clouds. Could see another surge in moisture as we finish this thing out. But cold air comes with this and stays through the balance of your Sunday afternoon. 
Monday, Tuesday, we see a reinforcing shot of cold air coming straight down out of the Canadian prairies, so we're going to be quite chilly. However, at this point, we might only be near to slightly below normal. The thing is, there's a big surge of warm air over the western United States that's just itching to move in here. So this cold air is going to be very interesting to see how intense it can be and how long it wants to stay. Wednesday, we start to see temperature moderation, and we're above normal on temperatures through Thursday and Friday. Minor disturbance coming out of the central plains on Friday. We'll probably throw some clouds in our area here for Friday night and maybe a few rain showers overnight, Friday night into early Saturday. A few hundreds to a few tenths. Coverage will end up being about 40 to 50 percent, mostly central Indiana. And then the rest of Saturday is going to see clouds and sunshine with a dry and mild Christmas Eve for Sunday. Big system kicking out of the Four Corners region in the southwestern United States as we move through Christmas Eve, moving into the central and southern plains. Rain and thunderstorms associated with this coming across Kansas. Looks like this is going to be moving out of Kansas into Missouri Christmas afternoon, and then it's going to be headed our direction. So do we get through Christmas with no precipitation or not? I don't know, too soon to tell, but there is a system coming. If we are dry on Christmas Day, I guarantee you we're going to be seeing some kind of rain or some kind of disturbance on the day after Christmas. And in my mind, I think we have to leave the door open to a little bit of Christmas precipitation as well. If we see it, though, I need to stress it will be rain, not snow, potentially a wet Christmas, not a white one. I'm meteorologist Ryan Martin. Selling Indiana soybeans on the export market is one thing. Getting those soybeans to those export markets is quite another. Hoosier Ag Today's Eric Pfeiffer will be traveling with a group of Indiana soybean farmers to the Panama Canal for a first-hand look at the issues facing export shipments of soybeans around the world. Listen for his on-location reports made possible by the Indiana Soybean Checkoff exclusively from Hoosier Ag Today. If you were looking for the top news and information about Indiana and U.S. agriculture, you found the right spot. Eric Pfeiffer here from Hoosier Ag Today on Hoosier Ag This Week. Thanks for joining us. The current administration in Mexico continues to stick by its plan to ban imports of U.S. genetically modified corn beginning January 1st, 2024. However, on September 30th, that administration uh, leaves office. And that could change things. Maybe. That according to Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. He told reporters over the weekend there is no scientifically based reason for Mexico to ban genetically modified corn, and the trade ought to be based on science. And on that score... The two candidates for president, uh, the leading candidate is a scientist. My hope and belief is that as a result of a new administration, they will take a look at the science, take a look at the fact that they are reliant uh, on the U.S. for yellow corn, and that the relationship with the U.S. is important. Vilsack said he made that point again when he met with his Mexican counterpart during the just-concluded U.N. climate conference in Dubai. For former USDA Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs Ted McKinney, this is about science and math. He told Hoosierag Today earlier this year that it's perplexing why Mexico's president has taken his people this far in that direction. There's just no turning away from sourcing a product like we have, particularly yellow corn. And if they want to start transitioning to non-GM, okay, let's 
get the signals to do that and we'll happily do that but then it's so so expensive for his people so he's got to redo his calculus to be very honest the issue could ultimately be decided by a usmca dispute panel in early 2024 the u.s recently lost a case that went before a dispute panel against canada and their dairy practices. Let's stay out in Washington, D.C., where a couple of congressmen have addressed their concerns over pesticide regulations at a recent House Ag hearing. Sabrina Halverson has the story. Representative Dan Newhouse of Washington was the first to give comments at the hearing and the first to broach the subject. He said state pesticide regulations need to fall in line with federal controls. The ability to produce abundant food feed and fiber relies on access to safe and effective pesticides. However, some states have begun to regulate pesticides in a manner counter to the decades of scientific guidance from the EPA. He said there are consequences to having different standards between the states and federal regulations. The lack of certainty on EPA-approved science-based labels will erode access to current and future pesticides. It will threaten crops, grower incomes, conservation practices, public health, vital infrastructure, and ultimately raise food prices for families amidst record high inflation. Newhouse said though he understands the rights of the states to each have their own pesticide regulations, he supports the Agricultural Label Uniformity Act to reaffirm pesticide label consistency. Congressman Rick Allen of Georgia also discussed state pesticide offices, but with a different take. 46 states, including Georgia, have one lead agency for pesticides. We need to support and codify that each state should have a robust state-led pesticide agency in the next farm bill. Having multiple regulatory bodies in a state does not work and is not effective for protecting public health and the environment. Read more at HoosierAgToday.com. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Many farm policy organizations have been lobbying for years now that a state tax should be permanently eliminated, opposing the collection of capital gains taxes at death. Legislation that provides exemption levels expires at the end of 2025, and some lawyers and estate planners are already talking about it. I call this the estate tax exemption repeal boogeyman, version 4.0. That's the farm lawyer, John Schwarz. He's a third-generation farmer and ag law attorney based in Cass County, Indiana. He says this because it's the fourth time in his 18-year law career that he's seen what he calls fear-mongering from some in his industry about the estate tax. I hear things and I see things where people are, you know, basically scaring people again, uh, and in my opinion, to, to do things that, from an estate planning standpoint, that they may not do uh, if it wasn't for this fear that somehow the estate tax is going to, uh, you know, drop substantially and all of a sudden farms will be lost because of the estate tax. Schwarz says if you have a good succession plan in place, have LLCs or have taken other steps, you'll be in fine shape to react to what Congress may or may not do. If you contact a farm lawyer like him, there are options available, like yearly gifting. Each year you can do some gifting. Uh, this year, 17000 you can gift you know, shares in companies, cash, things like that. You, know, you can start doing some small gifting, try to um, you know, uh, get some of the value out of your estate. A lot of times with the, with the value of farm estates, that won't dent it as, as much as we need to. So we look at some of the other tools that, quite frankly, uh, really fit nicely into farm estate planning. Schwarz goes into much more detail in our full interview. You can find it at HoosierAgToday.com, and you can find him at TheFarmLawyer.com.
Well, I told you off the top of the show, Indiana Farm Bureau is meeting this weekend for their annual convention. We hope they're having a good time in Fort Wayne. We'll have more news from that convention coming up on next weekend's show. In the meantime, there's a Hendricks County farmer who's a member of the American Farm Bureau Women's Leadership Committee, which brings together women in ag to sharpen their skills and become leaders in the industry. C.J. Miller has this story. We can be great leaders as women. And that's Margaret Gladden, who farms with her husband Dale near Danville. American Farm Bureau has been hosting Ag Connect Her events, which engage women with the training and education they need to become powerful advocates for agriculture. We try to do these four times, five times a year in bringing together powerful women that have worked themselves up into the business world and done wonderful, great, empowering things. And they are just great leaders and can empower all women. Gladden says it's important for women in agriculture to come together and support one another. People tend to look at the role of agriculture as a man's world, that there are more women that are coming up in the rank of majoring in agriculture. And there are more women owning farms now than there used to be. We look at that field. We've got to keep pursuing and going to stand on our feet also. Read more about the women's leadership opportunities through American Farm Bureau on the new Who's Your Ag Today mobile app, a free download for iPhone and Android. I'm C.J. Miller. All right, C.J., thanks. More news out of D.C. now. The National Milk Producers Federation is applauding the House of Representatives for passing the Whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act. The act expands the variety of healthy milk options schools can choose to serve. Right now, they're unable to serve 2% or whole milk, and they say it just makes sense that they can Farm Bureau was also happy with the news. In a letter to Congress, they told members that 9 out of 10 children aren't consuming enough dairy to meet their nutritional needs. You can read more on this and find other farm news anytime at HoosierAgToday.com. Stick around. Still more Hoosier Ag this week on the way. If you're still looking for a good Christmas gift idea, C.J. Miller has it next here on Hoosier Ag This Week. Staying informed of the markets, the weather, and world events has always been important to those of us in agriculture. Today, staying informed is critical. But now it's easier than ever. The Hoosier Ag Today mobile app puts up-to-the-minute information in the palm of your hand 24 hours a day. Download the free Hoosier Ag Today app for your mobile device at the Apple Store, Google Play, or at HoosierAgToday.com. Thank you again for joining us this weekend here on Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today and with Christmas just a little more than a week away. If you have little kids, grandkids, or just little ones in your life in general, then you may want to order them a brand new children's book that helps teach young kids about the importance of farming and agriculture. The children's book is called The Young American Farmer, and it's written by Courtney Audie of Seymour, available right now on Amazon.com. She's also a student at Purdue University studying ag education and ag economics. Courtney joins us here on Who's Your Ag this week. And first of all, Courtney, tell me about your new children's book and where the inspiration for the book came from. 
Yeah, so it actually started my freshman year of high school, and I stumbled upon this blog post, and it was talking about the importance of like writing your goals down um, and kind of doing a smart goal thing in the FFA world, as we like to call it. Um, and so with that, I was like, I think it'd be really, really cool if I would write and illustrate a book by the time I turned 21. And so I went to an old master's conference here at Purdue. So this is my second year participating in that. And my old master this year had made a comment that there's no better time to start than now. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to revisit that list. And at the very top, um, there was the write and illustrate a children's book by the time you turn 21. And I was like, let's go ahead and do it. And so I sat down over Thanksgiving break. And the next thing you know, all the illustrations were done. And I was happy with how it looked. And I was able to get it published. The story in the book, where did that idea come from to write a children's book about farming and agriculture? Yeah. So for me, whenever I first created this goal, I didn't know for sure where exactly I wanted it to go. And a couple of weeks before I wrote the book, I went to AFA, um, which is a conference that college students can go to within their like respective college of agriculture. And this lady came up to me and she was like, well, Courtney, what goals do you have? And I was like, well, what I'm looking at right now is this one about writing a children's book. And she was like, well, what are you passionate about? And I was like, well, agriculture, like that's why I'm here at this conference. That's why I'm majoring in agriculture because it's been such a big part of my life. And I feel like I tend to take it for granted. So I want to really do something to kind of speak my love for agriculture. And she was like, well, Courtney, I think you, you just found the topic of your book. And so that night, whenever I went to my hotel room, I was like, oh my gosh, did this lady just tell me where my life's going to go? Like, it was so crazy. And so I sat down and I was like, I think she's right. Like at the end of the day, agriculture has left such a big impact on me. And I feel like I tend to take it for granted sometimes. And so I really want to sit down and look at it through this lens of childlike joy or how would a child look at agriculture if they'd never seen it before? And so then I really started to dissect it. And that's kind of where the whole idea started. And I actually got a puppy a couple of weeks ago and her name is Millie. And so she kind of kickstarted the whole idea of the character where I was like, if Millie was a kid, what would I tell her about agriculture? Which is quite a funny connection there. My guest is Courtney Audie of Seymour. She's a Purdue student and she's just written a new children's book called The Young American Farmer, which you can order right now at amazon.com. And Courtney, there may not be a whole lot of children's books on the market that teach young kids about the importance of agriculture. Right. That is one thing. Whenever I first started looking into writing a book about agriculture, I was like, I want it to be different enough from the ones that are on there, targeting one type of agriculture. Um, but I've had a lot of experiences here at Purdue that have shown that agriculture is more than what I'm used to. It's more than the corn and the soybean fields I grew up with and like the pigs and the cows. It's the cotton fields in the southern half of the United States. It's the grapevines. It's the apple orchards. It's all of those different things. And so I really wanted to capitalize on all of agriculture. Um, so that way it can kind of bring about those deeper conversations with children. So then we can talk about how everything we use comes from agriculture. Like I wouldn't be sitting in the Purdue University Union if it wasn't for agriculture because of the wood and because of all of these different resources that were used to build this building. And so I think it brings recognition to all of these different areas of agriculture instead of just one area. Now, Courtney, I understand that you didn't write the book to make a quick buck for yourself or make a profit. How do you plan on spending the money that you earn from sales of your new children's book? 
Yeah. So just like what you said, I didn't really expect people to fully gain interest in it. Um, It's something that I just wanted to do both for fun. And so this program called LEAPS, um, Leaders in Education and Agriculture Preparing Students, kind of came to mind. And so all the profits from this book are going to go into this program to help create small urban farms for urban schools. Um, So think vertical gardens, smaller things like that. So that way these students can actively see, even if I'm not on a hundred acre farm or live in the middle of nowhere, I can still be involved in agriculture. I can still grow my own food. And my hope is that the money from this allows these um, urban students to see agriculture and see it in a different light. Once again, the book is called The Young American Farmer, written by Courtney Audie of Seymour. She's also a student at Purdue. And you can find the book at Amazon.com. You can also find that link at our website, HoosierAgToday.com. And Courtney, best of luck with the new book. Merry Christmas. And thank you so much for joining us here today here on Hoosier Ag Today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And that does it for this week's edition of Hoosier Ag This Week. Check out the podcast version of today's show at HoosierAgToday.com. Also download the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. It's a free download for iPhone and Android. For Andy Eubank, Eric Pfeiffer, Sabrina Halverson, and Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin, I'm C.J. Miller, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Radio Network.